Good morning, Joy Church. How are you doing today? All right, good to see you guys. You guys know that I love you like la, 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 la. It doesn't work as well when I say it to Bethany as it does in the song, I don't think. It doesn't have the same flow. So good to be with you today. Just got to say two important words, go ducks. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there. Excited about our season moving forward. And uh, uh, more importantly than that, we are excited to be here today. Welcome for those that are visiting today for Candy Palooza. Joy Church, we really love Jesus and we're also really in love with candy. It's two addictions that are without repentance, you know, uh, <laughs> fully invested. <laughs> um, no, I do apologize in advance because Bethany and I, we have three kids. Our kids are 11, 9, and 7, and so we are in the land of high dental bills. Anybody else? Parents, are you with us here? And you go to the dentist and they're like, this is what you owe us. And you're like, all right, well, we've taken out a second mortgage on our home and someday we'll be able to pay you back after indentured servitude. Uh, and so we're, we tell the kids, you need to be rationed, you know, with your candy. So Bethany was giving them their breakdown today. was like, you can have five pieces of candy while at church or cotton candy and three pieces of candy. So we're working on their critical thinking skills and, you know, their decision-making skills, and uh, I, as an adult, I think I've already hit my quota of candy this morning, so, but uh, there's no judgment. It's Candy Palooza. Come on, somebody. Candy Palooza. We are in a series called Relatable. We're talking about restoring the sacredness of relationships. A couple weeks ago, I read through the, the scriptures that talked about Jesus giving us the two great commands. When, he, when somebody said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He said, one, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everybody would have nodded along, and he said, wait, that's my translation, okay? He didn't actually say wait, but he said, there is a second like it, and it is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus said there's a second like it, he was saying of equal weight and importance. How you love God is how you love other people. And so for, for, for really understanding the essence of the Christian faith, it is this thing that we call love, which requires definition, it requires explanation, it requires understanding God's kind of love versus society's definition of love, so on and so forth. But human relationships are truly sacred. How we treat each other do we uh, elevate or do we diminish the dignity of a fellow image bearer in the way that we operate and, uh, and, and communicate and deal with them in our relationships? So throughout this whole series, we've been going through different kind of levels of human relationship. Last week, my parents were here. It was great to have them talking about parenting. And uh, unfortunately, people were like, we couldn't listen to them because we know you. And they obviously did a very poor job. And uh, no, I'm teasing. But uh, my parents did a great message last week. If you'd love to, like to hear that, I'd love you to go to joyeugene.com, listen to both, because my dad took all the time in the second service. My mom said some really good stuff in the first service. Uh, you wonder where I get that gift of gab from, now you know. Uh, it's actually both parents. My mom's just better at using a clock. So anyways, um, it was wonderful. And uh, today we're going we're gonna to talk about marriage. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the relationship between a man and a woman, woman and a man, uh, a marriage is defined in scripture and the beauty and the majesty of what God wants to do through that. Now, you might be here today and say, well, I'm not married, uh, or I was married, I'm not now, or I'm too young to get married, or I never want to get married. Wh wherever you're at, uh, I would ask you to go ahead and tune in and listen today because this message, though we will be talking about marriage and that relationship, it actually has downstream implications for all of us living in an inter interconnected uh, human society. I don't have time to do the full justice to this, but I will state this. I believe that a marriage is the bedrock of a healthy family, and family is the bedrock and foundation of healthy society. If you look historically, when you want to tear down a society, you want to tear down a nation, it's even what we see happening today in our society, is if you're able to break up and tear down the nuclear family, 
as kind of the smallest unit of unity, if we will, uh, that God has ordained, the smallest institution, a family with a dad and a mom loving each other, loving their kids, serving the Lord, is kind of a microcosm of government, a microcosm of economy, a microcosm of society. You have law and order. Come on, you got jail. It's called timeout, right? It's the smallest unit, and when it's healthy and when it's, when it's ordained and, and, uh, of the Lord and it's operating in the right way, it is the, the, the building block of healthy society. And so the enemy wants to tear down family. One of the quickest ways he can get in and tear down family is by breaking marriages. Uh, marriage is, is definitely under attack in our society from two directions. One, it's under attack from just kind of treating it with apathy. Like it doesn't really matter. It's just a piece of paper. It's just a contract, an agreement. And if you feel it, you're in it. If you don't feel it, you're out. But the other way that it's under attack is through immorality and the spiritual attack against it and feeling like I'm in a marriage, but it's not right. It's not good. Mine's broken. Mine's defective or whatever. So we're going to talk about that today. Before we do, I want to put a slide up real quick if the team would help me out. Uh, next week, we're doing an entire session, entire sermon, entire speaking time dedicated to your questions about relationships. And so if you want to text those to the, the number on the screen, 541-229-8848. If we get anybody ordering a pepperoni pizza, that's it. I've had it, right? None of this. Uh, there's always one joker in the room, right? Laughing there. It's like when I was a kid, we grew up pranking people before caller ID. Come on. I used to call Joy Church Medford and I'd get the secretary on the phone and be like, she'd be like, hi, this is Ellen. How can I help you? I'd be like, hey there, this is Pastor JTR Buckle from Tyler, Texas. I need to speak to the head pastor, Pastor Stephen Schmelzer. And she'd be like, oh, I'm, oh, thank you, Pastor JT. Good to have you. Yeah, I need to talk to the head man. Well, he's busy right now. I said, I need to speak to the head man. Anyways, I'd have so much fun. And then she'd be like, oh, Jake, you know, it was like, believe it to beaver childhood. Anyways. I don't, I guess it's only a problem if you care that you have, uh, what is that, attention deficit disorder? It's only a problem if you make it a problem, right? I was having fun. I don't know what I was talking about. But anyways, text your relationship questions to 541-229-8848, and we're going to unpack those and talk about those. Uh, I'm not talking to your neighbor. I'm talking to you. Please text them in, and we're going to pick through the, the questions and answer those next week. So please do that. Uh, today, jumping in and talking about marriage. You probably have heard this, but 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's the statistic. And uh, that's kind of sad. It's like a coin flip. And I, and I know that when you stand on an altar, you have this beautiful woman, this beautiful man looking into each other's eyes. The dream in your life of your life is not to um, split up half your stuff and be in an acrimonious breakup um, in your late to mid 40s or something. That's not what you want. Come on. Uh, before I get really off on this train, I want to say I know here in the audience today, there, we're, we're all at different places on our journey, and we're all on different sides of, the, of this issue. So if you've, if you've been divorced, if you're in a divorce, if you want to get a divorce, wherever you're at, um, or not married or whatever, nothing I say today is, is to cause shame or, or put stigma on divorce. I, I'm simply going to speak like a doctor looking at a wound. Hey, this is what's happened. There's no judgment about why it happened, when it happened, so on and so forth. We're looking at what is and then looking at how we can get to a better place, okay? So that's what, we're at, that's what we're doing today. And the reality, plain and simple, is that 50% of marriages, statistically, at least last time I checked, ended in divorce. People will say that's the same in the church as it is out in, in secular society, and that's actually not true. If you, if you study it out a little bit more deeply, those that are following Jesus and, and living as a disciple, the divorce rate is actually tremendously lower. So in case you've been heard that statistic parroted around, it's not, it's not accurate. Uh, which gives me a lot of hope as a Christian uh, to feel like my faith and my walk with Jesus actually helps me be a better husband and, and preserve something that I care very deeply about. 
But as I look at the statistics in culture that we're all a part of, um, I think about that phrase, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. And I think about those that, that give marriage advice, the kind of relationship and marriage advice that you get on Facebook. And, you know, you get the three steps from BuzzFeed of how to, how to have a hotter, you know, bedroom life, whatever, in your marriage. And you see all this kind of stuff. And it reminded me of a, a person I worked with. I, I did some business consulting at one point, And I was working with this individual and I was helping them build up their business. And they were a marriage expert. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and do the air quotes expert um, because they had been married and divorced like four times. And so I thought to myself, you know, maybe in an unkind moment, maybe they should read my book because I've only been married once. It's kind of funny, right? So the people that, the people that have like had a bunch of marriages, that doesn't actually make you a, an expert. It might mean you're bad at it, Right? Thank you for supporting me on this. I feel uncomfortable up here by myself making this joke, but, but I think the point is, uh, is true, that uh, it's not like the more experience, the more times you've been married, the better you are at it. We actually understand that marriage is something that's kind of like, hey, if you've been in it for a long time with the same person you started with, that's kind of the idea, right? It's kind of like water skiing. You don't want to find out you have a different water skier behind your boat when you get to the, to the dock, you know? That would mean something went wrong. Where did the other person go, you know what I mean? And... Uh, so in marriage, uh, our culture has this perspective, has this idea, and I thought about this, okay, we, we all kind of are, are drinking from the same well, if you will, on marriage, but we have these terrible results that culturally seeing half of marriages fail. So what if we just said, okay, that's not working. Let's do something different. And maybe you look at the Bible, maybe you look at God's perspective of marriage as kind of like, at, at maybe the kindest that society looks at it is just sort of fuddy-duddy and kind of old school. And maybe the most unkind that society would look at it is sort of like hostile and, and rigid um, and antiquated and even wrong. But I would say that God's perspective on marriage is something that to me, if, the, if what we're doing as a culture is not working, let's look at what he has to say about it. The thing is that our culture celebrates falling in love, but falling in love is easy. Standing in love is hard. Falling in love is easy. Standing in love is hard. Falling in love is passive. It's like something happened. I, I fell in love. It's like you were walking along, you tripped. That's just what happened. It's passive. Whereas standing in love is active. It, 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 it indicates that there's somebody in control driving something, like actually doing something and, and seeing results happen. Great marriages do not happen by accident. One of the things I grew up hearing was this. If you see a turtle on a fence post, you know that they didn't get there by himself. When I see a great marriage, when I see a marriage that's lasted through time, what I know is, man, they've had some battles. They've had some fights. They've had some stupid fights. Come on. They, they've gone through some crisis. They've gone through some wounding. They've hurt each other. They've, they've not always done everything right, but there's some intentionality, some investment to create something that goes the distance. Falling in love is easy. Standing in love is hard. Two people doing the work that needs to be done. Now, before we get into the practical principles on this of how to stand in love. Let's just talk biblically about marriage and where it comes from. Because again, I mentioned this earlier, but society has a low view of marriage. It's low for two reasons. One, it's low because it's, people will say things like, oh, it's just a piece of paper. And, and as if there's some sort of abstract emotional connection that makes something better than a piece of paper, when actually the piece of paper is important. 
I want the piece of paper. Why? Because I want something physical and tangible like a wedding ring and a house we live in together. And, 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 and that piece of paper, though it is just a piece of paper, it's representative of something meaningful when you have a higher view of marriage. But society's low view of marriage is also that when you feel it, it's good. And when you don't feel it, it's bad. And you need to look for something else. And that low view of marriage is what is leading to this, these awful results. Whereas the scripture has a very high view of marriage, that marriage is established and ordained by God himself. Marriage is not our idea, it's God's idea. That's why we can't play fast and loose with the idea of marriage. People are like, why does it matter how we define marriage? Why, does, why do the words matter? They're just words. Let me tell you, when you stand before a judge in court and he says guilty or not guilty, it was just words. It has ramifications for you and for your children and for your children's children, and it has ramifications for society. Man, I should preach every week on a lot of candy. This is good. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, this is right in the beginning of the story, it is not good for the man to be alone. All the ladies say, amen. <laughs> we know it. He's a mess, sister. Okay. God says, I will make a helper who is just right for him. You know, as we hear this, I want to say something really quickly, and I don't have time to preach this, but this word etzer in Hebrew is the word helper, and it's actually used in Scripture of God himself. So ladies, you can be like, I am God's gift to you, and you needed me. But this word helper, it actually means a counterpart, and this, this word of, of suitable or a helper suitable or a, a helpmeet doesn't mean that you have the strong, courageous knight in shining armor with a mission from God, and then his little lady that's there to help him. Can I, can I shine your boots? You know what I mean? That's not... That is not what's being spoken of here. What's being spoken of here is two people, different yet equal, being brought together to fully reflect God's image. Okay, and I'm going to leave it there. But this is, a, this is not a diminishing statement for women. This is an elevating statement. And Etzer Cagnato, uh, helper suitable, you need to study that out. It's a really powerful thing. Maybe we'll do a whole sermon on that at some point. And so the Lord God forms all the animals. Adam is naming the animals. The Lord said it's not good for him to be alone. And then he... Uh, causes him to fall into a deep sleep in verse 21. Verse 22, then God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man and the man said, at last. <laughs> I think that, I mean, it doesn't say, it didn't say that, right? It's, <laughs> this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. From the beginning of the story, God said it's not about isolation, it's about com connection, community. I'm going to bring them together, and they're going to experience this thing that we call oneness. In Hebrew, it's this word echad. I've, I've just fallen in love with trying to speak Hebrew on Sunday, so I have to keep doing it. Echad, it means oneness, the intertwining of two people, body, soul, and spirit. Marriage brings people together, but it's not just for their own benefit. It's actually a holy, sacred picture of even how God himself operates. You see, God is Trinity, and, and God is also spoken of with this word echad, oneness. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, indivisible oneness, these life-giving, interconnected relationship. And you say, well, Pastor Jake, I don't really understand the Trinity. <laughs> Neither do I. There's a part of theology that is mystery that we have to sort of accept and we, we, we look at it and we say, okay, maybe it doesn't fully make sense to our senses, but this is how God presents himself as three in one. And there's this indivisible oneness. Pastor Timothy Keller calls it the dance of the Trinity, this life-giving web of relationship that is indistinguishable. So there's a multiplicity of parts, but you can't really pull it apart and say one is this and one is another. They're one thing. Marriage is the human 
relationship that represents this reality of who God is, and it's also representative of Christ and his church. And so marriage for Christians is more meaningful than, oh, just stay married and have a good marriage. No, you're a living, breathing representation of God and his kingdom and Christ and his bride. That marriage is a, a high view of marriage is a very different thing than a low view of it's just a piece of paper and if I feel like it, I'll stick with it. It's something greater than that. You know, marriage is interesting because we'll often talk about marriage like it's a third party, right? You know, Bethany and I were just working on our marriage, like our marriage is a kit, you know what I mean? That we, hey, I need to put something in here. And, but marriage is, is the, the, the invisible bonds and connections between two people, that relationship itself. It's almost as if when two people come together, a third thing is created, but it's not other than you, it is between you. And it's something very pure and holy and amazing. Marriage also provides us a daily challenge to be like Jesus. I want to read out of the message paraphrase in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Going into the New Testament, this is Paul the Apostle. He says, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. He says, wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Listen to this, guys. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. We need a new definition of leadership. Leadership isn't the biggest jerk who gets his way or her way. Leadership is the greatest level of service and sacrifice. Geez, if our country had people that would serve the country rather than abuse it, just a thought. But this is the type of leadership that is biblical. This is the type of leadership that is honoring to Christ. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love, listen to this, marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. I love that phrase. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. And Paul reflects back to echad, to oneness, that when you invest in your spouse and you engage in giving, not trying to get, but giving love and serving and submitting and helping one another and being for each other, that you honor Christ, you honor God, okay? But it also is doing yourself a favor. You're, you're actually helping yourself because you're investing in what you are, which is this, this circle of oneness, okay? How many of you remember the movie Meet the Parents? When Robert De Niro tells Ben Stiller, you know, there's a circle of trust, <laughs> right? Circle of trust. I'm not recommending that movie from the pulpit, but as Citizen Jake, who is a human being with flaws, I've watched that film. I repented. No, I'm kidding. I love that movie. Anyways, <laughs> the circle of trust. But, but as Westerners, we oftentimes will take a passage like this and we'll turn it into a list, and then we give the man his job and the woman her job. That's actually not what's being spoken of here. This is a circle. It's not a list of things you need to do in marriage. It is a description of what marriage is to look like with submission and service and love, and it's flowing from one to the other. We're not trying to set up hierarchy or anything here. That's not what Paul's even doing. He's talking about a ring, and it's interesting because when we get married, what do we have? A wedding ring, which is to symbolize these, these types of concept, unity, an unending, unbroken stream of fellowship, love, serving each other, being for each other. When we embrace this, it gives us a, a, an opportunity to be like Jesus, so not only is marriage a picture to everyone of who God is, what God is like, but it also lets the parties in that marriage grow in their Christ-likeness 
serving and helping one another. Now, why do we need to talk about submission? Why do we need to talk about serving? Why do we need to talk about leading without domineering? Because the opposite things are what you will be tempted to do. Whenever there's a positive thing in the scripture being taught, it's because as humans, we tend to gravitate towards the negative. So if it says to the husband, look, you need to lead your wife, but you need to lead her like Christ leads her, it's because, guys, you're probably going to be tempted to lead like you see some politician or president or dictator or somebody lead and be like, my way or the highway. And that's not how Jesus leads. Ladies, you might think, man, submission, submission? (laughs) This is 2022. No, it's not talking about submission because he has different parts than you do. He's talking about submission because Christians submit to one another. There's a humility. There's a gracefulness. You know, in, in my relationship with Bethany, there's not a, a situation where it's like my way or the highway because if I'm leading that way, I'm not doing what Christ does and she's not submitting to my unchristlike leadership. Where she submits is when together in partnership, I'm saying here's the direction I feel from the Lord that we're to go and, and we're working together. And so it's this ring. It's not this list of behaviors. Are you with me? This is describing what a Christian marriage looks like. And there's a lot there. I'm going to leave that to move on. But I want to give you six practical principles today for how to stand in love. Falling in love is easy. Standing in love is hard. So let's talk about how to stand in love. Number one, seek first to understand before being understood. This is a Stephen Covey principle from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. My mom loves the seven habits of highly effective people, so I have this drilled into very deep parts of my brain uh, from, from childhood. But it's a beautiful principle, and I think so applicable to marriage and really all human relationships, that if we would seek first to understand the other, seek first to understand their perspective, their, their opinions, their thoughts, before we enforce that they understood us, it actually opens both parties to be understood. And so when it comes to marriage, we need to learn how our spouse communicates and change the paradigm from seeking to get my needs met to seeking to meet someone else's uh, needs. It's understanding love languages. How, in my marriage with Bethany, how does she receive love? How does she give love? How do I translate Bethany language into Jake language? Because, you know, we don't speak the same language. I wrote a song one time. I haven't really recorded it or anything, but I wrote it. And it's called Different Planets. And it's about my marriage because we are from different planets, right? There's a frustration. And how many of you have ever experienced this? Have you ever had a fight about something ridiculous that went on an hour or two hours? Like you're in the car and all of a sudden somebody's, now you're fighting about your aunt and you don't even like your aunt, but you're defending her because she had the audacity to talk about the casserole. (laughs) And now you're ready to die. For your aunt's casserole, how many of you ever had a fight like this? Have you ever had a fight about something as a couple where you realize we actually are saying the same thing? And we're looking at it from two different perspectives. Now, this is not always the case, but in a lot of situations, you're actually on the same side. And really, you're on the same side. You're just coming at things from different angles. And even when you have different perspectives and opinions, but we've had ridiculous fights about silly things. And then later on, I'll be like, why am I yelling? What? Well, I don't even care about my Aunt Shirley's casserole. Like, I don't even care. Why am I defending myself? She wasn't criticizing me. She just said, hey, could you turn the TV down from 200 decibels down to a level where the rest of the family could have a life? And like, I've taken it as an affront to my manly honor. <laughs> what happens is we need to seek first to understand before being understood. 
There are things your spouse values that don't and won't make any sense to you. But you need to learn to honor and appreciate those things. I think we need to be more grateful for the fact that we did not marry ourselves. You're not Dennis Rodman. You know, you didn't marry yourself. You married a unique person, a different person, with thoughts, feelings, and dreams that are radically different than yours. And the beauty of marriage is in the variety and the multiplicity and the differences, not in it being vanilla ice cream all the time because you think and speak and act exactly the same. That, that, that old phrase, opposites attract, is so true in marriage because often it is that thing that first drew you to your spouse that will literally irritate you nearly to divorce. Later, unless you begin to learn to love like Christ and appreciate that which is other than you. And again, marriage shows up as this champion teacher in life because even in society, if we could learn to appreciate the otherness and learn to appreciate the differences rather than say rigidly it has to be my way or the highway, but it is actually in, in bumping into each other and having these conflicts and realizing my wife thinks differently than I do doesn't make her thoughts less than mine. And one of us might be right or wrong about a fact or something like that, but in the, in the exploration of this relationship and working things out, we can come to a place where both of us win, okay? I feel like a, feel like a philosophy teacher today, but we'll get back into the scripture. Okay, but, I, but these, are, these are true things. You didn't marry yourself, and thank God for that, because that's where the enjoyment of marriage is. But as we approach marriage, let us seek first to understand, to learn their language, Number two, run towards resistance. You know, God is using your marriage to grow you spiritually, to grow you in your maturity. It's just like lifting weights. When you lift weights, there is a tearing and a breaking down. There's resistance in that process. And it is that resistance that actually creates the rejuvenation of strength. That as the muscles get torn and broken down, as they heal back, there is now strength that is there. And it's easy for us, because of our cultural definition of marriage, which we'll talk about in a minute, a little bit more, to get disillusioned with marriage because we think that anything that is hard must be bad. Anything that challenges me, anything that feels like resistance, anything that feels like things aren't going that well, I feel like I'm hitting some friction with my spouse or I'm hitting some friction with my boss at work or whatever. But, but actually what we are to do is not run from those times, but run into them, run towards them, right? Marriage is not going to be one long romantic comedy every single day. It's actually much deeper, much more satisfying, and far better. Here's the temptations that come. It's so easy to think the grass is greener on the other side. It's like, man, you go to work and people think you're funny. You know, guys, you're good at your job. You go to work. You know, you, you clock in, you do your thing. People are like, man, you're doing good today. Hey, bro, hey, nice. You know, maybe the, the lady there is kind of like giving you googly eyes or whatever. And, you know, you're feeling pretty good. People laugh at your jokes. And then you go home and you show up and it's like, hey, the garbage needs to be taken out. And I uh, love you. But like, you know, and it's normal. And it feels hard. And there's friction. And the communication isn't perfect. And you think, well, man, this isn't good. Like if I was with that person, then everything would be better. You got to realize there is no greener grass on the other side, but there is a dark side to that person that you don't see until you get married or until you get with them. How many of you know I'm telling the truth? Nobody does, but I am. <laughs> it's easy to invest other places where there's no resistance. But here's the reality. Hard doesn't equal bad. Marriage is hard, but it's absolutely worth it. Running into the place of resistance takes faith to believe that God is telling you the truth and wants the best for you, that there isn't something better when you throw away what is 
what, what you have, but, but it actually is in the investment in what you have that creates the good stuff. Let me give you an example of this. I was 19 years old, and it was right before the 2008 mortgage crisis, and I was able to buy this condominium in Medford for $1,000 down, which is crazy because it's insane. Nobody should have loaned me money. But anyways, if you remember that time, that's how it was. It was like anybody can borrow money. You can buy stuff. Got into that. I was a landlord at 19 years old, and I had these insane rent- renters that came in, and they were liars, and they had huge dogs, and it was this big process, and it was so much resistance, and I wanted to give that place up. I wanted to let go. I wanted to get out. I wanted to sell it. But like a year after I bought it, it was worth half what I paid. How many of you got to experience this lovely resistance in 2008? Anybody else? So I had this piece of property that's worth half what I paid. I'm a young guy, not married yet. Renters suck. Like everything's awful. I hate it. You know, this, this, the terrible situation I was in. And I wanted to run away. I wanted to get out. And so many times, even when Bethany and I got married, we ended up living there for a while. You know, we kind of cutesied it up a little bit, but then it was hard for us. Like we didn't have a lot of money and, and, and honestly, it was just like this thing that constantly, constantly, constantly was hard. It was resistance. But then 10, 15 years later, you look at it and you go, it's worth more than I paid. It's almost paid off. We've had renters in there paying for the mortgage and now we have this asset that creates income. This is awesome. But what happened is there were so many days, so many moments where we said, we want out, we want to get out, we will sell it, we'll try to sell it cheap, we can just get out of it. We did that with one of our properties that we had owned in Medford. We bought a house and we ended up getting out of it because it was too hard and now we're like kicking ourselves because it would be worth double what it, what it was when we bought it. Everything good is going to come on the back of investing through the hard things. That's for marriage, that's for your education, that's for your spiritual life, that's for everything. And in your marriage, when things get hard, lean in, don't lean away. All right, moving forward. Three, date your mate. Don't ever stop pursuing. Don't ever stop chasing. You know, this whole thing about falling in love is easy, standing in love is hard. We think that feelings create actions, that like if I feel something, that causes me to do the things that are loving. But actually, as marriage goes on, you realize that that, that kind of lovey-dovey stuff leaks. And the way that you refill that tank is by continually investing and staying in hot pursuit of your mate. If you've been married five years, 15, 25, 30, 50, don't stop dating. You're not done. 15 minutes a day, look in her eyes, guys. Get a mustache like me so you look like a sexy beast. (laughs) She doesn't know it yet, but she can't keep her hands off me. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) She doesn't know it yet. (laughs) I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. So anyways... um, (laughs) You got to keep pursuing 15 minutes a day. Look her in the eyes. Tell her she's beautiful. Ladies, come on. Keep pursuing him. Don't, don't treat him like he's common and like he's nothing. Keep supporting his visions and dreams. Keep investing in each other. Do some practical things. Go on a date night once a week. Go on a little trip overnight once a month. Go, go out, you know, once, one week into a year. Go to the coast. Maybe you don't have a lot of money. Go to the park. I don't know. Just go somewhere. Just go because there's value in chasing and pursuing. It shows that I don't take you for granted, right? I don't take you for granted. So I'm not, I'm not just taking it for granted that Bethany is my wife. I want her to, to know that I'm still pursuing her. So we date our mate. Number four, measure marriage the right way. You know, to have any kind of successful construction project, it starts with accurate and uniform measurements. You know, I'll tell you how to know how to not hire a contractor. If they show up at your house and they're like, yeah, this looks like about 15 feet, 
You know, he's cross-eyed, you know what I mean? Yeah, I call that a Springfield inch right there. You know, no, we don't. We want to use imperial inches. Come on, somebody. I mean, we can even let somebody use the metric system, but there needs to be uniformity in measurement. That actually is a big deal. When I was coming down, watching the guys putting in our, you know, ceiling girders. How many of you are glad we had some people that actually knew what an inch and a yard and, a, and all that was, right, and is, to, to actually build some structural integrity in here? We, we like that. Um, we're not into creating your own measurements. And yet when it comes to marriage, we oftentimes have a completely abstract idea of what is meant to be. For instance, I'll give you kind of two ideas. We have Hollywood or we have holy. You know, in our, in our world, in our culture, it's like, the, the two types of love that we sort of celebrate are erotic love, eros, if you follow the Greek, I'll kind of go into those words in a second, and ludos, the playful love. But we look at like emotional love and physical love and that's sort of the highlight. And then we see like our favorite Hollywood stars and starlets and man, they get married and they're so beautiful. And then like three or four years later, you're on Facebook and you're scrolling through the news and it's like, Benefer's <gasps> done. <gasps> and you thought that like they had it so well. How many of you fallen into this trap? Like you see two incredibly beautiful people and they get together and you think they have it made in the shade with a glass of lemonade. Like that's, that's marriage. Wow, they're so, they love each other so much and they're so beautiful. And then when you actually dig into it and then you see like Johnny Depp and his beautiful wife's like trial splayed out and people are pooping in beds and you're like, oh my God, I have a great marriage. I have a great marriage. Come on, celebrate yourself, right? You're doing great. Did you poop the bed today? I did not. Come on. Pastor Jake, what are you talking about? <laughs> Hollywood <laughs> versus holy. Yeah. You see, Bethany and I have never been put on anybody's magazine for wedding photos. In fact, I looked pretty ridiculous when we got married. It's spiky hair, like a puka bead necklace. I mean, it's just what you do. You know, I see some, I've been to some of your houses. You got like a pink cummerbund at your wedding, you know, like nobody puts you on a magazine. But I see marriages that are 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 50 years, and there's holiness in that marriage because two people are loving God and loving each other and being committed to each other, and they're measuring things the right way. See, the Greeks were really smart when it came to love. Uh, they had multiple words to describe love. They had agape, which is God's kind of love, self-sacrificing. Phileo, that's like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's friendship love, brotherly love, companionship, friendship. Uh, pragma is the word they use for love. It's where we get our word pragmatic. It's like practical love, serving each other, doing the chores, taking out the garbage. Um, ludus is like that playful, flirtatious love. Eros is that sexual intimacy, physical love. Our society says, man, if you have all the eros and you have all the ludus, like if it's all that sort of flirty, right, falling in love feel, it's like fun and emotional and sexy. That is what love is. And Christian marriages that are going the distance are like, you know what, we actually just keep all these uh, all these fluids full in our marriage. You know, we got the transmission fluid, the oil, the gas, like it's all there. There's pragma, there's phileo. Because you'll tell you what, man, it's not sexy when like the dishes are piled to the roof and your husband doesn't work and like your kids, nobody's disciplining the kids and, and like there's no investment in the family and you're like, let's be sexy. We can't because there's, every surface is covered with everything. I'm going to get emails from this, I know, but, <laughs> but I, I think there is something true about what I'm saying is that you have to invest and measure marriage the right way. When my wife says, hey, I, I, 
I took the kids, you know, out to the charter school and we're doing homeschooling and she's investing in my children and our, you know, investing, I say my children, it's not like they're only mine, they're ours together in case anyone's wondering, but investing in what matters to me and that might be pragma and it's not sexy in so far, but it actually is because it's love and I know how to measure it. Are you with me? So marriages, when we measure them, we have to ask, Hollywood or holy? Do I want something fake? Do I want a shooting star of a marriage? Man, it was a great year. No, I'd rather have 50, 60, 70 years living with my bride who is beautiful. There is intimacy in our relationship. There is attraction. There is all of that stuff, but we measure it the right way. Number five, kids will leave. Invest in your spouse. You know that you didn't marry your kids but you did make a covenant with your spouse. We live in a culture that, it's weird. We, like, we really don't do well with children, but then we almost overreact when we're trying to do well with kids, and then we turn them into little idols. I love your kids, but, I mean, some of you might have professional athletes, but most of you don't. Uh, my children are beautiful, lovely, wonderful. They have incredible destinies and futures, and I will always put them second to Bethany. And the reason why, and you might be thinking, gosh, she's horrible. Well, yes, but not for this reason. Um, (laughs) The reason why is because my dedication to the person I made covenant with is, is an act of worship and honor to my God. And when I love my wife and she loves me and we invest in each other first, we create together the stability for every good thing that comes for our children. See, if you, if you come to the Schmelzer house, you're not invited, but if you come to the Schmelzer house during the week, no, seriously, just don't. I mean, I'm introverted, so I want my own space on time fun. But if you came to our house on a weekly, uh, just a normal weekday, you would see um, parents that love their kids, that are invested in their kids. They have, they have every advantage. I mean, so, so many advantages that are being provided to them. We love desperately our children. So it's not in any way diminishing the love we have for our kids, for what I'm saying here but it's an understanding of the proper order of things that my relationship with Jesus comes before my relationship with Bethany and that's good for Bethany and the fact that her relationship with Jesus comes before me is good for me because it means that if somebody is committed enough to what is holy and good and right, they will do the right thing with regards to me, okay? And so our relationship is first to Christ, then our relationship is to one another and from that foundation, we provide safety for our kids, and that's why when, when the kids walk in sometimes, Bethany and I will grab each other, give each other a kiss, and we're looking at them and they go, ew, but they keep one eye open. Because <laughs> what's happening in their heart is my mom and dad are good, they love each other, they're investing in each other, and that creates safety for children to then grow in the nurturing admonition of the Lord. So invest in your spouse. You know, when we were on our honeymoon, we were on this bus tour in the UK and there was this old married couple, probably married 50 years And uh, it was so sad because they would sit at a table together and they would not say a word. Just sit, eat their gross British food, you know. (laughs) And we were laughing and talking about castles and Harry Potter and everything in Britain, you know what I mean? And the kids are like, uh, oh, these old people were like eating and not talking. And we we mentioned to each other, we're like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be like that. If if your whole marriage is only about the kids, what are you gonna talk about when they go away, when they grow up? So we're still investing in our marriage because that's the covenant. Number six, marriage is not about marriage. In marriage, you've got to realize that there is purpose that will keep you connected. You're serving each other and you're serving Jesus, making him the ultimate target. When Bethany and I go out on dates, we, we talk about the books we're reading. We talk about the jokes that we've heard. We talk about 
the memes, you know, that we're seeing. We talk about the movies we're watching. We talk about politics. We talk about you guys. We pray for people. We, we have a life. I have a life. She has a life. We have a life. And our conversation is rich and varied, and there's something to talk about. And we don't, we don't just sit down and talk about our marriage, because that gets really boring after like two dates. Okay, let's sit down and work on our marriage again. No, marriage is the interplay of two people that are living for God and living for each other and serving each other. Yes, there are times when you have to take your car to the mechanic shop, but that's not what driving a car is about. It's about getting out on the open highway with some classic rock and the wind in your hair. Come on, somebody. And like some of you, maybe this will help you because you go to dates and you talk about your marriage. Stop. Talk about the movies you watched. Talk about the books you're reading. Talk about what you're excited about and and dreaming about and the business you're going to start. Because marriage isn't about marriage. It's about common purpose. We understand that our marriage is to give glory to God, that our partnership together, she's meaningful, she's valuable, her investment in, I'm meaningful, I'm valuable, my investment in, together we're able to do something great for God in the place and time he's called us to operate in. And so our marriage has purpose beyond just our marriage. Amen? In conclusion, falling in love is easy, standing in love is hard, but it's so worth it. Awesome. Can I pray for marriages today? We got to go rescue the kids workers from the kids possessed by the spirit of candy. Let's pray for marriages today. Father, thank you for your word today, and I pray that, Lord, everyone would be able to eat the fish and spit out the bones. I was goofing off a lot today, but there was, a, there was truth, Lord, in, in these words, and I pray that you would allow us to hear your heart and hear your words on what is being spoken today. Lord, we don't want to be part of the 50% that sees marriage dissolve, fall apart, and, and Lord, we want to we follow you and want to see our marriages be a reflection of your kingdom and who you are. Lord, I pray for anybody that's walked through a divorce or is in that process or currently there. Um, I just pray for your grace, for your mercy. There is no condemnation. Lord, there is another step forward and into a better future today. So Lord, it's not about criticizing what has gone before. What we want to do is walk in health and wholeness and healing moving forward. I pray that this would be a place known for marriages that are strong. This would be a... a Irregular, irregular statistical place because we would not see marriages ending but marriages standing in love. And Lord, that we would have a, a great celebration through the years as we see marriages that go on and on and on, not with somebody just doing their duty but somebody walking into light with their spouse, loving each other and seeing this beautiful gift that you've given to each. Lord, we love you. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quick, uh, we're gonna end but I wanna give you an opportunity if you're here today Uh, to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So if you bow your head and close your eyes, you know, we just make an opportunity every Sunday. I didn't talk about the cross today. I didn't talk about, you know, the gospel. I didn't preach out of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John today. Um, We talked about marriage. But I know every week somebody is here that is hungry for God, hungry to have a relationship with Christ. And you can decide today to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So if that's you, would you just pray this prayer along with me today? And we're all going to pray. Dear Jesus... I give you my heart. I give you my life, all the good and the bad. I receive you as Lord and Savior. Thank you for giving your life and paying for my sins on the cross. I choose you. I receive you today, and I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.